welcome to the Basic Scotland podcast series. These are brief snapshots of topics relevant to pre-hospital care, predominantly within Scotland, and some deep dives into specialist areas with experts from a wide range of disciplines. My name is Dave Strachan. I'm an Army Surgical Registrar, a Basics Responder, and a Mountain Rescue Doctor. We at Basic Scotland are very grateful to NHS Education for Scotland for all their support with these podcasts. Joining me today, we have Dr. Paul Perry. Paul's been a GP for about 12 years or so now and is the Associate Medical Director of NHS 24, which is Scotland's national telehealth and telecare organisation. He's currently a member of Lothian Unscheduled Care, previously did a little bit of work as a remote and rural fellow on Sky, so is no stranger to rural Scotland. He's a trustee and director of the Positive Help Charity and teaches postgraduate students at the University of Dundee. And Paul's come on to chat to us today about NHS 24 and, and really how it interfaces with the acute care presentations and, and the emergency side of, of what we do. Paul, thanks so much for coming on to join us. You're welcome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. So I guess most folk will have come across NHS 24 in one form or another. But can you just introduce it and how it sort of sits in the wider picture of health in Scotland? Yeah, thank you. Um, so NHS 24 is, as you say, Dave, is Scotland's national telecare and telehealth organisation, really. And we, we have a number of services that we offer for the public. The first one that we'll be aware of and our partners are around our one-on-one service. So that's the telephone number that patients would phone if they were unwell, particularly in the out-of-hours period, but also the in-hours period now as well. We offer lots of services on this number. The particular service is the 111 urgent care number. As I said, the number that patients would phone out-of-hours. We also offer the COVID line as well. We are in the, in the midst of a pandemic, so we offer that service as well to patients. And then there's other services that we offer as well. So that's the Mental Health Hub, which is open 24-7. And we also offer our digital services as well on channels like NHS Inform, for example. So it's a pretty wide-ranging suite of information and access pathways for folk who, I guess, the, uh, I would assume that the original intention was to try and offload the 999 services so that that could be left to deal with, with emergencies. Yeah, so I suppose it's multifactorial really I mean I suppose the 999 SAS part of it is just a small piece really do work and collaborate very closely with SAS in terms of either SAS transferring calls to us or us transferring calls to SAS really but it's essentially the the front door to healthcare really within particularly primary care so you know as I say patients phone that 111 service and they can be calling for anything from tummy pain to having a fever or, you know, just generally being unwell. So they, they phone us for help and advice and support. Um, and then essentially what we do is we triage them. So we go through questions from our decision support tool software that we have on the computer system. And that's overseen by a nurse clinician as well. So there are quite a range of outcomes from that so we would for example either decide to offer the the patient that's phoning us some help and advice about their condition that they're phoning about today and that we would self-care them with you know for example if they had um, tummy pain and and we thought it was not too serious and needed further assessment we would give them advice about analgesia and how to look after themselves through to if we 
thought after that initial assessment that they needed onward referral to, for example, secondary care, we would refer them onwards either down to their out-of-hours, if it was in the out-of-hours period, or it would be, for example, down to the new urgent care pathway that has come into play last year. And the patients would probably would get uh, a call back from a senior clinical decision maker and discuss their symptoms and what their needs were at that time, and then either give an advice in terms of if they needed any further onward assessment or referral. Just in terms of the nuts and bolts of what happens when a patient rings 111, or is presumably if they're transferred across from the 999 service, the initial phase is fairly scripted as I understand it. So folk kind of working through that triage sieve. Yeah, that's right. So when the patient phones 111, they will get put through to what we call is a call handler. So that's a non-clinician that's trained to take calls. They would ask them some details, their, their name, date of birth, their address and such like. And then they would take them through essentially a, what we call a decision support tool, which is essentially a range of questions about the reason that they were calling about today. For example, if it was abdominal pain, they would be taken through a, a range of questions in regards to that abdominal pain that they were suffering from. Once at the end of that assessment, the decision would be overseen by a clinician who would be supervising that call handler. And then the patient that was calling us would be given advice in terms of whether they were giving self-care advice or needed further onward assessment. Okay. Just to get a vague feel for numbers, roughly how many folk are coming through the system? So last week, I looked at the data in preparation for this, and last week we dealt with 46,000 calls directly to our 111 service, and that was from Monday to Sunday. Our busiest periods are particularly in the evening, so after 6 o'clock when um, daytime GPs are closed, and at weekends as well. And last weekend, we dealt with, I think, just shy of 21,000 calls, which is close to the highest demand we've ever seen in the summertime, particularly in the midst of the pandemic that we're currently in. It's a vast volume. I guess looking at it from the sort of from the treble nine side, which is where I often integrate with one one one, we see the patients who are referred on into the treble nine system from that initial call. And since sometimes there's some frustration from my colleagues that folk have ended up in the nine 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 system. But when you think about the numbers involved that you guys are offloading from the nine 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 system, actually, I mean, it's a huge weight away from the Scottish Ambulance Service and, and that emergency response. Yeah, I mean, I suppose just not just with the with SAS and the emergency response, but I mean, we again looking at the data from last week, we self care about just just shy of twenty percent, I think, of calls that come into our one on one service. So that's twenty percent that are not sent on to SAS. That's twenty percent that don't go to ED and also don't go to GP uh, out of hours. Really, so you know, when we when you think that we dealt with forty six thousand calls last week, um we essentially self-care 20% of those calls, that's a huge demand that doesn't end up in secondary care or primary care as such, really, yeah. And what sort of percentage end up getting fed back into the Trouble Nine system? That's a good question. I think the numbers are quite low in terms of what we refer onwards to Trouble Nine. Obviously, within SAS, there are different outcomes. Trouble Nine is the first one. Immediate life-threatening uh, is the other one. And then there'll be certain time responses for SAS as well. But essentially, we only really send either 999 or immediate life-threatening responses to SAS. That's the only outcomes that we have for SAS. If anything else needs 
onward referral, we would send that either to out of hours or to the, the new flow navigation centres that are based within health boards. It's striking in terms of the numbers of actually how much of the workload is getting diverted away from the acute care system, which having just finished a night shift, I'm, I'm fully aware is, is under enormous strain. In terms of the numbers that, that we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing really, really high volumes of calls at the moment. I mean, in terms of those volumes of calls, particularly on the, because we're in the midst of a pandemic, the volumes of calls that we see in the COVID line at the moment, at this present moment in time, is just short of 30%, really. So that's a huge volume of calls that we're taking on that line to, to deal with the, the pandemic we're currently in. And it's reassuring to know that this isn't just an algorithm-based system and that actually, almost right from the outset, the outcome of that algorithm is screened by a clinician and there is that sort of clinical input to, I guess, pick out the, the red flags or the subtlety of the presentation that might push you towards an emergency response or equally not an emergency response, depending on what's been said. Yeah, that's right. So the decision support tools software that we use is robustly governed and, you know, put it through its paces, really. We oversee it with our CDT team, the clinicians that we have in-house as well, and our, our governance structures to ensure that the system we have is very robust, safe and effective, really, for patient care. And as we say, you know, the end outcome or endpoint is overseen by a, a clinician supervising that call handler that's taking that call from the patient to ensure that the outcome is the best for that patient at, at that moment in time. You've mentioned streaming and you've mentioned some of the outcomes, and I guess that ties back into the range of services that you have available to you. So to take a hypothetical, if somebody was to ring 111 with a mental health issue that maybe wasn't immediately life-threatening, presumably you could then stream them into the mental health hub and into ongoing care in that direction. Yeah, that's right. So the mental health hub has been a service that we set up about two years ago and it's now open 24-7 so anybody within Scotland can phone the, the number 111 and go through the IVR and get into the mental health hub. The mental health hub has the same sort structure 111 line has so they come through to what we call a PWP or a call handler. They're taken through a range of questions as well through that decision support tool and then there's a, a clinician as well that supervises that outcome and, and discusses with the patient what their needs are on the day. From my point of view as a basics responder one of the times I might integrate with that if for instance I've been asked by the ambulance service to attend a patient who was struggling with mental health issues and perhaps some concern about suicidal ideation if I see them assess them and feel that there's nothing immediately life-threatening presumably as a clinician I could then feed them into that system or direct them to that system myself and, and hopefully avoid the need for transport or for further services to be involved. Yeah, that's right. So you would just signpost them to call 111 and then we would take over that care at that moment in time and we would take them through the, a series of questions and the clinician supervising the call handler PWP at that time would discuss the most appropriate treat or management and care for that patient at that moment in time whether that be referral onwards for example using distress brief interventions or just simple advice on the phone the other option we have as well is we can refer onwards to other local services i think it was about just over 3600 service users that we had interacted with uh, over the last month which works out to be about 74 referrals per week that we normally take from from callers we often have 
calls coming in from Police Scotland, so that might be another avenue that, for example, if you're a basic responder and you've gone up to a scene with SAS and the police are there as well and you come across a, an incident like this that you've described, then Police Scotland are able to what we call safe transfer calls to directly to the mental health hub and the 111 service. So, And this is a new initiative that we set up just a few months ago. And I'm guessing the advantage of all of this is that rather than it being a one-off treble nine emergency intervention that doesn't really go anywhere because as an emergency service we're not that well equipped to deal with ongoing mental health issues referring them through your pathway means that they they're fed into a system that is much more equipped to deal with a mental health problem that's not just going to be a single episode it's going to be need a continuum of care i think the the right thing here is is to get the patient the right care at the right time in the right place really and that's what we're talking about isn't it so you know it's it's not appropriate for patients to be using the triple nine service in, in that way but it's, it's around helping them find the right access to services in different parts of the system really and that's where we come into play what we do is we help patients tap into those services whatever they are and for example you know we have those services there we've got the 111 service with the mental health hub um, and then we also have our digital services as well that we offer i'm aware that you sort of also liaise with things like physiotherapy and out of hours general practice and again, from a, an interface between Scottish Ambulance Service and the emergency response, if we need to get a patient from the roadside for a GP review, how would that sort of setup work? So currently the, that setup works in that SAS would phone 111 and they would be directed down to their local out-of-hours service. So, for example, um, with my GP hat on in Lothian, I would often take what we call a prof to prof call from a SAS crew member who's probably rocked up to a, you know a patient's home or an incident that they have attended, and then we would you know discuss with the SAS crew member what the issue was and how we could help them. I guess it really broadens the suite of options that we have at the roadside to to get this patient, as you say, to the right care at the right place, rather than just going for the default of taking everyone into an overcrowded ED to sit in a queue for a pretty long time. That's not good for anybody, is it really, and particularly patients. You know, it's, it's appropriate for patients to be seen in the right place at the right time. And, you know, just looking at the NHS at this moment in time, EDs are jam-packed, really. And there's good evidence to suggest that there's other places that patients can access services. You know, it's not just going to EDs, particularly. Patients can access services from their own GP, from pharmacy, from their local opticians, and from their own dentist as well. So they shouldn't have to particularly feel they have to go to A&E or ED. It feels as though it's more often a signposting problem than necessarily an access problem. It's patients not necessarily knowing where to go rather than not being able to access the service they need. Yeah, you're right. So that, I suppose that's where we come in as well, is, is we help. We signpost the public to get to the right information, whether that be to the website that we have called NHS Inform, which has got lots of self-help guides and symptom checkers, to signposting the, the public and patients to the most appropriate service for them, whether it be the out-of-hours uh, local services in their particular health board, whether it be the mental health hub, or whether it be uh, a phone call from a senior clinical decision maker from that flow navigation centre who would decide whether the patient did need to go to ED 
or actually it could be seen somewhere else. So I think overall it makes the system more efficient and effective and hopefully helps that patient get the best care that they can. The logical next question is, what's next? How can we improve this service? How can we tighten up this interface between the emergency aspect and signposting and trying to get the right patients to the right places? I think it's just about continuing to work together and collaborate, really. I think we, we do have a very good relationship with the Scottish Ambulance Service and we will continue to improve and, and work together on areas like this that we've talked about today to try and look at interface working both with SAS and NHS24 in terms of how we can improve that patient journey and try and tap and help patients and the public tap into services that they might not know about. So when they were in dire straits and thought they had to phone 999 ambulance response when in fact there could be other services that they just were not aware of. So it's about working together. It's, it's about us advertising to the public, particularly on our digital channels, what we can offer and it's about communicating again with SAS to let them know actually what the options are as well for them if they do turn up at somebody's house on the roadside or another place that they've been called out to. It strikes me that for me as a basics responder I'll occasionally turn up at at jobs and feel that the patient doesn't necessarily need a treble nine response and it's quite a good safety blanket knowing that I could then feed them into a 111 system that could redirect them to something more appropriate rather than just giving them advice and and waving goodbye at the roadside and not necessarily having any follow-up to that initial presentation. It's a good, it's really good service and I think by getting the message out there to particularly basic responders that basic responders do have more options, you know, more tools in the box to use. I think when you're at the roadside, not knowing quite what to do with somebody who doesn't necessarily have an ABC problem and doesn't need to go into ED as an emergency, but there are other options to utilise. I think it's a very, very good thing to have and definitely to get the message out there, I think, to basics, yeah. Now, we've been getting all of our presenters to give three top tips for basics responders as a takeaway, really, to hold in their minds for the next job where interface with NHS 24 might be appropriate. What would your suggestions be? I think it would be just keeping the number instead of not 999, but 111 as the emergency number. Maybe keep that in your back pocket next time you rock up to an incident. The other thing is don't forget our digital channels. We have a really, really good website called NHS Inform that's full of lots of useful information, symptom checkers, self-help guides. We have links onto other websites as well from that. We have various chat box and voice bots as well to help patients and to help signpost them to the right services. And we also have access to that mental health hub as well, which I think is key for members of the public as well to try and tap into if you've come across somebody who potentially has maybe a deterioration in their mental health and maybe suicidal, or even if it's just that they want to talk to somebody, we're always open. And I think the last message is we're always open 24-7 as well. Paul, that's absolutely fantastic. Thanks for giving us such a concise overview of NHS 24 and how it interfaces with us at the emergency end and the patient at their end of the spectrum and how all the pieces fit together. Yeah, that's been great. Thank you, Dave. And thank you very much for having me today. And I hope that by people listening to this podcast today, people will remember NHS 24 and what we can do for patients and also our stakeholders and partners that we work with on on a daily basis. And I would just like to thank you again. Thanks, Dave. That's it for this week. If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland.